Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and childish comedy. Listener discretion is advised. And now, please adjust your headphone volume to an unreasonable level and enjoy the most dynamic and electrifyingly entertaining podcast ever to conquer cyberspace. This is Amish Baby Machine. friends and welcome to the most powerful podcast ever created, the Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast, starring me, Dags. The Amish Baby Machine Pop Culture Podcast is powerful, and we're ready to go today with a powerful guest all the way from Alaska, Mountain Man, Robert Forto. Welcome to the barn. Hey, how's it going today? Good. Now, do you prefer being called a mountain man, or what? what is your title? I guess you could call me a dog musher. I think that's sort of the title that sticks. Yes. Now, tell the fans of Flock of Amish, I'm real excited to have you on the show. I've never had a dog musher. Tell us about that. Well, you know, you and I have been chatting on Twitter for quite a while now. I love your sense of humor. I love your show. And we reached out to each other and thought it would be a cool to have have me on the show. But anyway, my name is Robert Forto. I live up in Willow, Alaska. We're about an hour and a half north of Anchorage. I live here with a pack of sled dogs. We have 40 dogs down in the yard. Uh, my wife and I operate not only a sled dog kennel, but also a dog training business up here in Alaska. We train dogs from all over and just, uh, you know, just up here living the dream. Now, where, where did you originate? How did you end up in Alaska? You know, I was a military kid growing up, so I got a taste of a little bit of everything. I ended up in Minnesota for school. Then I went to Portland, Oregon and started doing some mushing. Then I met my wife, Michelle, in Colorado. And one day I said, hey, I think I want to move up to Alaska. Brought my 12-year-old daughter up here. We looked at this little rundown cabin shack, and I left it in the hands of her. I said, Nicole, I want you to text your mom back home and tell her if we're moving to Alaska. And she texted mom, and here we are 10 years later. Now, how do you get into mushing? I started dog mushing in 1994. I was living in Portland, Oregon at the time, and I answered an ad in... uh, kind of a dog-centric magazine for a lady that was selling Siberian Husky puppies in Georgia. I jumped in my little 280Z, flew down from from Portland to to, uh, outside of Atlanta, bought a couple of dogs, and she said, would you like to go for a ride on, on our cart? I said, sure. So we jumped on, hooked up some dogs, and I was hooked. And I tell you what, those two dogs turned into two, they turned into four, they turned into eight, and here we are with 40 years later. Now, how many dogs do you rotate them out, or why do you need 40? Well, we do several teams. We typically run teams of about 10 or 12 dogs each, and I also teach a class at the local university where we take outdoor leadership students in the Alaska backcountry, and we teach them you know, survival skills and you know, backcountry techniques and whatnot. So we'll take three or four teams out with them and just get them used to dog mushing and seeing some of our great country up here. 
Now, what do they eat when you're out on the trail? Believe it or not, our dog food bill is about $2,400 a month. And I think they eat a little bit better than we do. We feed them about a pound and a half of meat a day and about three cups of kibble. We mix it all together. I call it gruel. It looks like a really thick beef stew oatmeal combination. Now, I hear about huskies. What's the difference between a husky and a Malamute? And do you use them both? We do not use Malamutes. Malamutes are typically larger, freighting-type dogs, much heavier, much, uh, you know, think of like an offensive lineman in football. That's what uh, a Malamute is comparable to. We use what we call Alaskan Huskies, which is some type of, of Husky breed in there, typically a Siberian, along with something else. It's kind of a Heinz 57 dog that's bred particularly for dog mushing and and they can pretty much go forever they don't get cold they off they don't often get sick and uh and they're just doing their job something that they love to do now how do you know if a dog's not pulling its weight literally and figuratively can you tell out of 10 dogs it's just like the slacker on the baseball team. If he's out there picking daisies when he should be out there playing right field, that's how you know they aren't doing their work. If that line isn't tight or the harness isn't tight, they're probably not doing their job. If they're goofing off and you know playing with their teammates, they're probably not focused on the job. So how many years are they out there before they retire? We just had one pass away that was 17 years old last year. They stay here wow. their entire lives. I know it's a, it's a long time. Uh, you know, your typical house dog lives 9, 10, 11 years. But these guys, since they're constantly working, it's, it's, like, it's like a professional athlete. They have the best nutrition. They're constantly exercising. They're constantly being worked with. So they are cared for a little bit better than your typical dog. And they, they prove that with uh, not only good breeding and good genes, but just you know, a very high activity level and high appetite and that sort of thing. Now, um, tell me about racing. Do you actually get into the races like the Iditarod and the John Berigrees? You know, I moved up here to Alaska to run Iditarod. I have not done it yet. I always say that life gets in the way. You got to earn a, a living some way. But one of those days I will do it. I've done a lot of mid-distance races in my years. Uh, mid-distance races are typically three or 400 miles or less. But uh, the big boy, like Iditarod and the Yukon Quest, those are typically about 1,000 miles. Now, what? how do you win? I guess you all start, are they staggered, or how is this set up? Uh, we typically go out in two-minute intervals, and you may have 30, 40, 50 people in a race. So uh, the person that's going out first will start a couple of hours before the last person, and then you're working your way down the trail, and you're stopping at checkpoints for particular amounts of time. Some checkpoints are you know, eight hours or 10 hours or 24 hours, depending on the race. And then you make up that differential as you work your way down the trail. And it's, it's literally the fastest team that wins. So how much, so how many miles was the Iditarod? The Iditarod is 1,049 miles. Oh my goodness. And how long is a good time on that? 
Uh, they're winning right now at about eight and a half days. And for folks that are listening, 1,049 miles is about from Minneapolis to Denver. So think about doing that at 30 below zero. And you're standing on a pair of runners about the size of, of, a, uh, of a yardstick, about that wide. So think about standing on there at that kind of temperature in that kind of environment for that many miles. Now, what do you do for the dog's paws? Do you put... Uh... Anything on it, wax, or do they wear shoes? Or We do use booties. They're kind of a canvas-type material. Our dogs are pretty good with, without them. It, one of the things that we do in breeding good sled dogs is making sure that they have really tough feet. And if they don't, of course, that's when they're wearing booties or, or some type of salve or whatever you're using to, to work on them. But probably the most important body part on the dog is the foot. Now, how about hips? Is that hard on uh, the hips? It, it's it's not as hard as you may think. And again, it goes back to breeding. Remember, these guys are have been bred for generations to do this work. So it's not the typical Labrador with hip dysplasia and, you know, they're, they're 15 pounds overweight and all of that. These guys are, are bred to do what they do. What what are they weighing? What, what are they running the average dog? Our average dog is probably about 50 pounds. I'm a bigger guy than most. We've had dogs upwards of 70 or 80 pounds, and we have some little teeny dogs, uh, little teeny females that are probably weighing in at about 35 pounds. Now, do they pack up? Can you see, like, who's who's in charge and who's submissive? Oh, yeah. oh definitely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, it, it, it's, uh, it's pretty dynamic. Everybody knows who the boss is. Everybody knows who the, who the, wink link, the weak link in the team is, and, and they, uh, they will exploit that if they have to. Now, have you, have you come across anything crazy? What are some crazy stories you could tell us about when you're out there? Uh, probably the most interesting story. I was doing a 200 mile race several years ago and I was totally dehydrated. I was constantly off the sled running up and down huge mountains. I mean, they're, they're probably a couple of thousand feet and I was doing all kinds of work. I was just toast and it was in the middle of the night and I was falling asleep on the sled and and I looked up and I thought for sure I saw a pterodactyl flying over me no joke and little did I know that uh, <laughs> that there was <laughs> that there was a, a a pretty large snow owl in the area and other people had seen it too but just being dehydrated and without sleep I was definitely uh, definitely hallucinating a little bit and I thought for sure that bad boy was right from Jurassic Park now, do you have any, like, surface-to-air missiles or anything to protect you on that? I don't have anything except hopefully, uh, you know, just kind of duck and cover. But uh, in that instance, I was just glad to get to the checkpoint and, and take a little bit of a break. Do you carry a sidearm or a rifle or... You know, it's allowed. I had, I never have, but, uh, you know, a lot of people do. But I haven't had too many encounters. Speaking of another story, it is actually a wildlife encounter. We were training here in our backyard on our trails here. We have, I don't know, 200 miles of trails behind us. And it, the snow was real deep. And we have these huge berms about, I don't know, four feet tall. So you're kind of running down in a chute as you're going by. And we're taking this turn. And I tell you what... 
a moose jumped right over the team. I thought for sure it was Rudolph jumping over the over the team there. <laughs> and mo- <laughs> moose up here are not like moose in Minnesota. Moose up here are are like elephants. They are huge. I mean, they have uh, you know uh, 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 antler spans or whatever racks at four or five feet wide. That thing was huge, and he just kind of leaped right over us and kept on going. Oh, so it didn't really affect the dogs at all. Oh no, I I saw him out of the corner of my eye, and he just kind of jumped over the you know from one berm to the other over the trail. They just you know they have that that kind of uh, uh, pace with them, and nobody even knew what was coming. They just kind of just kind of did their own thing, and and everybody kept going. Now, what is their prey uh, prey drive like? Do they go after small animals uh, if they see a lynx out there? Uh, they have. When we were living in Colorado, I was training on this this training cart. It's it it has. Uh, uh, I think they're about the size of a wheelbarrow wheel on it, and it has. It's a metal type cart, probably weighs about five hundred pounds. And we were running around the neighborhood, and and my lead dogs caught scent of a fox or a rabbit or something. And he took off down through this guy's property, and I literally ended up in his in his living room he that, wow. those dogs those dogs just took off chasing after whatever it was i never saw it but we took off that road and in through that guy's property i thought for sure uh i was gonna crash i i was wearing those uh nylon adidas type athletic pants and <laughs> when i was done with that i tell you what uh they were they were shredded from the knee down but it was a ride i'll never forget i just totally enjoy just you know just just flying through somebody's backyard like that now how do you feel about the dogs are they are they working dogs or do you treat them as pets or something in between uh we do an in-between type deal uh you know we're, we're down there all the time every day yes they're working animals most of them do not want to be in the house uh, if we bring one up that's injured or sick or or whatever they're pacing at the door thinking, you know, I got to get out of here. I don't want to be in this place. I want to be outside. But of course we, you know, one of the biggest questions people always ask us is, do you know all their names? Of course we do. Uh, we, we learn them and, and give them unique names from, from puppyhood and, and yeah, they're part of the family, but they're definitely not our fur babies. As many people think of dogs these days. Now I wanted to talk to you about your, uh, podcasting because you are with dogs works radio yes so why don't you tell us a little bit about that how you got into podcasting uh we were living in denver we uh had a a pretty good sized training facility pretty much right in downtown denver and we wanted to give back to our clients so we started a podcast back in 2009 really before anybody knew what a podcast was and we set up some mics in our lobby and it was on a Saturday morning and people would come in and ask questions about dog training. You know, why does my dog uh, eat poop or why does he tear up the furniture or whatever? And we just had a, a back and forth like that. And lo and behold, people started showing up every week to, to sit in on our live show and it built a lot of momentum. And then we were doing live shows at at uh, you know uh, 5Ks and that sort of thing for dogs. And, and it really just took off. And after... 
after years of doing that type of thing, we started our mushing podcast where we cover dog powered sports like, uh, you know, mushing and bike joring and all sorts of other things. And that's sort of where we're at now. Every every winter we cover the Iditarod on a daily podcast and, you know, it's just kind of gone from there. It's 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 sort of my passion, sort of like you. I just love telling stories and talking to people and, and you know, hearing interesting things about what people are doing around the world. Well, where can we hear you? Give us some uh, plugs. You can definitely hear me at dogworksradio.com. That's probably the best place. Of course, that's where all the show notes are for our, our guests, all their links and all that kind of stuff. And we're on every every podcatcher there is, you know, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Just search Dogworks Radio on the internet and we'll pop up. Cool. How about on uh, social medias? You want to give out your Twitter and Facebook and such? All the same. Search Dog Works Radio. Wow. You keep it simple. I like that. Well, while we're at it, why don't I plug some stuff too? We uh, want to thank everyone that listens to our powerful podcast. Make sure you check out our merch, AmishBabyMachine.com. I got some powerful merch, T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, whatever you need, I got it. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at AmishBMachine. We're on Instagram, Amish Baby Machine, like our Facebook page. Also, check out our YouTube page also. All our podcasts are uploaded to YouTube. And uh, so I want to get into, you're up in Alaska. I wanted to get into the lifestyle of Alaska versus living in Minnesota or Colorado. Uh, You know, it's not as bad as most people think. I'm sure a lot of people have the impression of Alaska on on the TV shows that they watch. And and I hate to say this, but I would say almost all of that is fake. Uh, it, It is a tough life to live up here, but, you know, we're... We're only 25 miles from the grocery store. We do have McDonald's. We do have movie theaters. We aren't living in igloos. And uh, we pretty much have all the perks that everybody else does. But I tell you what, when a new restaurant does open up, it is a major ordeal. Uh, They're opening up a a Sonic up here in a couple of weeks. And people are going absolutely nuts over Sonic. They're talking about rerouting traffic and all kinds of crazy stuff just to stop in and get one of those shakes. Did they install moose lanes? <laughs> I don't know about moose lanes, but they definitely have cops out there directing traffic. Yeah, that's that's powerful. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I could just imagine all the wild creatures coming up. Do you get how far up are you? Are you, do you are you seeing the midnight sun and all that or not? Yeah, we see it all the time. One of the coolest things to do here, especially if you're you're out there with your dog team, is just going out there and just kind of kicking back and seeing those northern lights. That's one of that one of those special things that, you know, a lot of people have that on their bucket list. You know, people travel all over the world to to see that and we're fortunate enough to see it many times over the winter and it's it's one of my favorite activities to do when it's when it's dark outside. Now, you're into beekeeping also, right? Oh, yeah. Tell us about it. Well, we have four hives this year. That's about uh, 400,000 bees flying around in our yard. Uh, it's no joke when you're out there. Uh, I always tell people that that I'm hanging out with things that can definitely kill you in a heartbeat. And it, it's a lot of fun. Uh, this year, we got about 15 gallons of honey out of our four hives. It's one of our better years. And, you know, we do it pretty much as a hobby, but it's a pretty good money-making opportunity. We sell it for $20 a box. 
bottle, uh, and that's a pound, and I guess there's about 60 pounds in a gallon, so just imagine how much that is in terms of, of bottles of honey. So it's turning out really well for us. Now, how did you get into that? Just one of those whims. Uh, a friend of mine says, hey, you should get into beekeeping, and I'm one of those guys that will try anything. And I, I went to a meeting, and the next thing you know, I was carrying a, a couple of thousand bees in, in my back of my truck, and we put them in a hive, had no idea what we were doing, got stung a million times, and uh, here we are four or five years later and doing pretty good at it. Where do you actually purchase the bees from? Uh, we're a part of a bee club, and they are, I believe, bred in California, and, and the and the club goes down there every spring, picks them up, flies them up here on the plane, and then we pick it up and, and then put them in the hive. So how many queens do you have? One for each one hive, for each, or how does yes. that work? Yep, one for each hive, and a lot of people hear about bees swarming. Bees will swarm when another queen is born. So their their idea is to split the hive to double themselves. Obviously, they're trying to populate. So when a hive will swarm, it's because another queen has been born in the hive. You said about four years you've been doing the beekeeping? Four or five now, yeah. So if someone wanted to get into it, what would you recommend? Join a bee club. Uh, you can get into it for probably four or 500 bucks and uh, set up a hive in the backyard. A lot of people think, oh, I don't want bees in my backyard. They're going to attack my kids or my dogs or whatever. And I tell you what, if you, if we're not in the box, if we're not in the hive, they're pretty docile. I don't think I've ever been stung with that many bees around the property unless somebody was in the box messing with them. So what does the smoke do? It just kind of calms them down? Yeah, it kind of bakes them out, like uh, you know, taking a hit off off a bong or something like that. Oh they're, my they're goodness! Kind of just, <laughs> yeah, they're just they're just chill. When you hit them with that smoke, it, it's like uh, it's exactly the same thing as if, if folks are doing it as well. Are they pollinating a certain plant, or you just let them go and it's just total wild honey? It's just total wild honey. We don't use any insecticides. We don't do any antibiotics. And since we're pretty much out here on our own. Uh, they're just doing their deal. A bee will fly in about a three-mile circle from their hive. So they're they're hitting up plants everywhere from three miles out. So a lot of people think, oh, I'll just plant a, plant a, bun of plant, a bunch of plants in my yard, and that's, that's what will attract them. I see a few bees in our yard, but I, I hear all the times from our neighbors a couple of miles down the way, hey, all of your bees are over here eating up our, 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 our nectar or our pollen on our plants. Now, do they have any uh, enemies, like anything you got to watch out that might mess with the hive? Uh, wasps tend to get in there. We don't have a big problem with that here, but as you get closer to the city, for some for some reason, they have more wasps and hornets and whatnot. You can have ants and, and, and even mice and that sort of thing, but a bee will not let anything else in, and they have uh, kind of little sentry bees that hang out at the front, and their job is to keep all of the other intruders out, and you'll see them attacking these, uh, you know, these other types of bugs, and, and, and they'll just, uh, they'll just tear them up. They'll, they'll, Kill them in a heartbeat. Now, what else do you do out there? So you're into the beekeeping. Is there anything else? Do you, do you have a, like a big garden or? Don't have a big garden. I don't have time for that. Uh, as I mentioned, we, uh, we oper operate a dog training business. The dogs here with the kennel keeps us real busy. And uh, as I mentioned before, I also teach at the local university. And, and then every summer we hit the road and we ro ride roller coasters and uh, hit up rock festivals down the lower 48. All right. Tell me all about that. 
The R and R rock and roller coasters. Ro- rock and roller. We call it the rock and roller tour. We're actually heading out to Thursday afternoon. We're heading down to Orlando to a podcast conference and then starting off the summer leg of our rock and roller tour. What that is is every summer we figure out a couple of music festivals wherever they're at and then we kind of bookend those with amusement parks or theme parks in the area and we just travel around the country trying to hit up as many festivals and as many roller coasters as we can a couple of years ago we did a 7,000 mile trip we hit up i think 14 theme parks and uh, three or four concerts we went from denver to portland maine to south texas and back to denver so pretty much a triangle of the country and it was a blast and i always tell people you know now that the kids are, are grown and moved out it's time for us to go out and play a little bit now i want to hear about the concerts who did you see oh man we've seen everybody we love going to the festivals so we can see all of the bands at once we're heading this year to uh, two big festivals the bourbon and beyond and the louder than life bourbon and beyond is kind of kind of a old school classic rock zz top's gonna be there foo fighters zach brown that type of music and then louder than life is a little bit harder it's going to be guns and roses and Godsmack and and disturbed and slipknot and that sort of thing so who's your go-to band my go-to band is probably Godsmack. I really like those dudes. My wife oh, loves powerful. Foo Fighters. Yeah, my wife loves. I love Foo that Fighters. tune, Voodoo. Oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. Did you know? You I know, love. This I is love kind of, drums. So that the drums on that are awesome. This is kind of a of a pop culture deal. I don't know if you know this, but you know that that is their highest played song is Voodoo. Do you happen to know why? You got me. It's the most played song in strip clubs. Strippers love wow. that song. <laughs> yeah, and for some reason, that's the go-to song out of their catalog. And most people don't know that, but I guess it's it's a perfect song for that type of deal. There's a lot of undulating to those powerful riffs and beats. Yeah, yeah. Very primal. Yeah, right? no, <laughs> no, that song rocks. <laughs> I might have to power that. <laughs> I might have to, I'll have that for song of the day. I haven't done that in a while. Today's song go. of the day is Voodoo by Godsmack. Very good. So tell me about the tell me about the roller coasters. Uh, we've ridden most of them. I think we're at about 400 in the last four or five years now. This year we're heading down to Universal. Uh, that's kind of been on our list for a long time. Universal Studios down there in Orlando. They have, I don't know, four or five pretty decent coasters. One of them is called the Incredible Hulk, which I guess is just one of the most intense roller coasters in the country. We're looking forward to that. And uh, just whatever we can get our, our, our teeth sunk into, we're going to do it on that, that trip. And then we're heading over to uh, to the Tampa Bay area and hitting up Bush Gardens. And they got a couple of new coasters down there as well. So which one do you think is the best if you had to pick one or a couple of them? My favorite is in Kings Island in Ohio. It's called The Beast. It's been around since 1978, I believe. That was my first big coaster when I was a little kid. I remember I just met the height requirement, and my dad took me on that, and it's it's such an awesome coaster. My wife and I went back to Kings Island just past October, and I'd never ridden that coaster at night. And I tell you what, that that's an intense ride there at Kings Island. So what makes it so cool? 
it's just fast. It's long. It's I think it's 5,000 feet or something like that. And you're just ricking, rocking all over the place. And we got to, we got a chance to sit in the front seat for that ride. And it, you know, it was, when you're out there in the middle of nowhere of the park, you know, there are no lights and things like they have on the midway. It's, it's pitch black and you're just flying through the, through the air in that front seat. It's, it's just really exhilarating. So with the, with the concerts, are they, um, do you plan ahead or do you just kind of wing it on a summer and go, oh, we're just going to hit them all? Or how far we, along we, do you plan those? We do our best to plan ahead on that 7,000-mile trip. We started uh, – actually, no, that was the year before. They are kind of all running together. Uh, the trip we did two years ago, we started in L.A. and we met uh, – we, we went to Metallica at the Rose Bowl. So that was our first show. Then we kind of hit the the West Coast circuit of coasters and ended up with Guns N' Roses and Denver. And that was a great trip. Two really iconic classic bands there. And and then we went to uh, roller coasters in LA, L.A. and and up in Idaho and Washington and whatnot. Then back down into Colorado. So I'm going to name a state and you tell me a good roller coaster. All right. Alaska. Do you have any? Mm-hmm. We don't have any. That's why we travel. They tend to be in the Midwest, right? A lot of them are in the Midwest. A lot of them, of course, are around big cities. Uh, you guys have one right there in the Twin Cities. I haven't been there in years, so I have no idea if the coasters are there that were there when I was there, right there at uh, Valley Fair. That's a, a pretty good little park. Uh, there are other parks there in, in Wisconsin and in, near Chicago and Ohio and all over the Midwest. Now, let me ask you this. Do you, do you like the roller coasters that are very smooth or do you like the ones that are kind of rickety and you're like, oh my God, are we going to fly off this thing? I love the old ones. I especially love the Woodies or the wooden roller coasters. One of my favorite roller coasters of all time is the Cyclone at Coney Island at, in New York City. We've been there three out of the four years, I guess it is, we've gone out to New York City. I think it was built in 1926, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just one of those that uh, is just a classic. It's it's just pure nostalgia to ride on something like that. And they look so good too. You know, they're typically white and they have the, you know, the big arches, the big loops. Right, right. The technology nowadays is so much different than what it was back in the day. Nowadays, they're just so smooth. I mean, it, it just feels like you're just flying down the, the, the track and you don't even know you're, you, you know, it's not rickety like you talked about. It, it's just all smooth and rocking and rolling. There's one in Tennessee called Lightning Rod that uh, is the first looping wooden coaster. And it's also the first wooden launch coaster. So it means it shoots you down the track at 60 miles an hour or, or something at right out of the gate. And I tell you what, it's it's so much different than what most people think of as of a roller coaster. Now, how about like at Disneyland and Disney World and, and those have, big theme parks? Yeah, I have not been to either Disneyland or Disney World in years. That's on our on our list to make it one of these days. But, you know, that, those places are just so huge and they're just so packed in the summer. A lot of times they just have such long waits. I, I've seen things where people are waiting four or five hours to ride a roller coaster. And that's not really my gig. I'd rather go in it, get in and get out. But, uh, yeah, one of these days we will make it over to uh, to Disney World. I know they're just opening up that uh, that Star Wars land, and that's that's really kicking off. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I, you know, I grew up with that. I was born in the early 70s, so that's sort of my go-to of, of you know, uh, 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 Empire Strikes Back and 
Return of the Jedi and all that. Those those were my characters. Now everybody loves Marvel and DC and all that. So out of the three, the big three, what was your favorite? Empire? Uh, I think Return of the Jedi. I think that's just a cool one just because of really? all the different stuff. Yeah, I, I you know, I loved of course I saw it when I was eight or nine years old. So, you know, I love the Ewoks and I love kind of that indoor planet. Of course, here I am living in a very similar place to that now, but I just just thought it was a cool story. You kind of saw, you know, the death of Vader and all that happening. It was just a cool way to go. I think. Why did each planet only have one climate? You know, it's like the Hoth was the ice planet. Tatooine was a desert planet. Why can't there be more climates? Yeah, I know. And, and if you think about it, I don't know. I don't know where the, what the planet was, where they were in Cloud City with Lando Calrissian and, you know, the whole planet was just a huge city in the clouds. But yeah, I think <laughs> I th- yeah, I think they tried to mimic, you know, what the kind of the 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 demographics of the country was, you know, you, every city has their kind of unique feature. When you think about L.A., you have Hollywood. And when you think about New York, you think about, you know, uh, forget about it and all that sort of thing. So I think all all the all the planets were trying to mimic, you know, other parts of the country at the time. So we are a powerful pop culture podcast. So tell tell us your movies other than uh Star Wars, what are your go-to movies? I'm a big-time scary movie fan. Every October, we do the 31 Nights of Horror. Each night, we watch uh, a scary movie of of one kind or another. That's kind of my go-to. But I like all movies, the old ones, the new ones. Uh, We talked about uh, DC and Marvel. I like those okay. They're not really my forte, that CGI stuff. I like a better story than I do the action. They're not your foreto. Not my foreto, that's right. Powerful. Well, I want to thank you for being on this show today. I was looking forward to it. It's it's not um, every day you get to talk to someone that lives with 40 sled dogs up in Alaska. Right. Right. Powerful. I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. I love going back and forth with you on Twitter. You got an excellent uh, feed over there and I think I'm I probably comment every day on something or another and and you and I usually go back and forth a little bit. So yeah, you, the place to see you for your your listeners is definitely follow this dude on Twitter. It's it's good stuff and I think uh you really get a kick out of his tweets for sure. God bless you. <laughs> yes, uh, I I do really appreciate you, Robert, being on the show. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome. And then next time, guys, you've just enjoyed the Amish Baby Machine podcast. <laughs>